This morning I want to look beginning in uh, the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. shared on Wednesday night, what we will be talking about today, in the wet men's meeting, I mentioned it, what we will be talking about today was total surrender. Beginning in verse 15. Now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to them, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said to him, A certain man gave a supper and invited him, and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all made with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. So another said, I have married a wife and can't come. And so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the, master, and the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. And the master said to his servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, to, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who are invited shall taste my supper. Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers, and sister, and yes, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intended to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, lest after he has laid the foundation is not able to finish it. And all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build that was not able to finish. <clears throat> what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet with him against him 20,000. Or else while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, Whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, how shall it be seasoned? It shall be fit neither for land or a dunghill, but men throw it out. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And this is a powerful passage of Jesus speaking here. And there is a very strong and powerful message in it. And it's a message where people are invited to the feast. A great supper. And we know it 
before Jesus returns, He has a great supper with all the saints before He returns to claim the earth and establish His throne in Jerusalem. Then He has this great supper, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and many are invited. This is the great supper Jesus is talking about. And people are making excuses. They're too busy. This, you know, you're talking about, uh, you know, here it's like, what are the excuses? You know, I bought a piece of ground, I got these new ox, I got a, a new wife, all this other stuff. Too busy. Too much going on in life. Just like Jesus said, the cares of this world. Choke, you know, if we allow them to, they'll choke out the word, it will become unfruitful. And in the same way, you see these people here, they're not really for, for surrendered to Jesus' lordship. And so, Jesus, and so the Lord says, okay, just go out and get even the lowest in society and the weakest in society, the sickest in society. Just so I want my house to be full. That's what it says in Corinthians, not many of the great and the powerful and the rich that will, will come. God chose the foolish things of this world to confound the wisdom of the wise. And so, just fill my house, the Lord says. And so the crowd draws a big crowd, and then as the crowd draws, he continues on this theme and he says something very challenging that we God has to open our eyes, our heart to understand. Open our minds, open our understanding to understand, to reveal what he's saying here. That if we don't hate our father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters in our own life, we can't be his disciple. I remember somebody throwing this up at me, was not a believer, and this is one of the reasons why. Because you're supposed to hate everybody in your own family, you know, your own wife, your own children, you know. Obviously, you got to look a little deeper than that. So one of the Ten Commandments to honor your parents. We're told to love our children. So obviously, there's something deeper than just what's on the surface there. What we have here is our first love is Jesus. In Ephesians, I speak to the Ephesian church, Jesus sent them a letter saying, you've left your first love. We must love Him and put Him first in our life and not put others before that, including those who are closest to us. And that means our decisions have to please God rather than even our own wife our own children, our own self, our own life. We have to put Him and make Him our first love. Embrace Him as our Lord and our first love. And so that's why He says something to the extreme when He says to hate you know, all these people. Of course, not to hate Him. We're called to love everybody. Last week we were reading that. Love everyone else as much as ourselves, including our wife, our children, and everybody else. But you see that Jesus is making a comparison. 
about loving him, even if it means that others won't love us, and the decisions that we make, the way we live, things like that. We were talking weeks ago about the fear of man as a snare. We make wrongful decisions because of the fear of man instead of putting God first and loving him first. And he continues on this. It says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. A follower of Christ must bear, the, bear his own cross, pick up his cross and follow after him. And we know that a cross is painful. And we know that it's costly. Look what it costs Jesus. It says in Galatians 5, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its affections and desires, its lusts. <clears throat> Crucifixion means it's going to, uh, the flesh means pain to the flesh, denying the flesh, denying our bodies, denying our desires of our carnal nature, the old man. Suffering. Putting others before ourselves, we just read in Philippians 2. That was the attitude of Christ. That's sacrificial. That means suffering our own part. And laying down of ourselves like Jesus did. Jesus is showing us that this is what a disciple is. This is what a Christian is, what a follower of Christ is. And then he talks about counting the cost. Just like a guy building a tower, a man going to war, a king going to war. They've got to figure out. The, guy's, the carpenter, he's going to build a house. Well, do I have enough money to pay for all this? And do I have the energy and the... Do I have what it takes to build this house? Can you man, imagine a man, he builds a house halfway. He doesn't finish it. People laugh. Look at this guy. He started building his house. He ran out of money. went bankrupt. You know, people mock him. People in the world will mock him. And so... The same way, there are many who, be, who begin following the Lord, but they don't continue. And people say, oh, look at this guy. Say, say he's a Christian. Look what he's doing now. Where he's at now? Mockers. Verse 33. So likewise, whatever, wherever, whoever of you, I'm sorry, whoever of you, who does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Now some people will interpret it that you have to sell every last stitch of everything you have to sell and to give it all away and to, to just wander around and be a beggar or whatever, you know, just, you know. Now, this is not, for most people, what he's talking about. Well, the apostles, their, their lives are extreme. It's not the call of, you know, of most Christians. Again, it is the perspective, the same as like hating all those you love. To forsake all is a total surrender to Christ. And... That, that teaching here of Jesus, of forsaking all, means our whole life. That we give up the life of ourselves, our, our way of life, our will, our self-will and everything about it, what we want to do, what our flesh wants to do, 
and we crucify. And we embrace, instead, the life that Jesus walked. Now people will say, well, that's impossible to live like Jesus. That's why He gave us His Holy Spirit. That's why we are born again. To live the life of Jesus. Jules George Mueller was once asked, how is it you're living such a, a radical life like this? This life of faith. This life of giving of yourself this way. This life of trust. You know, of giving of yourself fully, totally like this. And in his answer, his answer was long. I just remember a couple of things. He says, it's only by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit that I'm able to live this kind of life of surrender. The Bible says it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And it's God's grace that leads us away from self and to this life in the Spirit. And a lot of people will say, you know, I've been praying for God to fill me with the Spirit. I feel so dry. I feel so empty. Well, the answer is is found in all of this that we're reading. That first we hear Him, this teaching of Jesus of total surrender. Now to emphasize what total surrender is a little bit, we go back to uh, 1 Kings chapter 20. And this is a story from just a, a five verses from 1 Kings chapter 20. And this is how it's kind of done. One, one king surrenders to another, or one army surrenders to another. Beginning in chapter 20 of 1 Kings, in verse 1. Now Benadad, king of Syria, gathered all of his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him, with horses and chariots. And went up and besieged Samaria, and made war against it. Not only did he go with his army, but it says he brought 32 kings with him. Or who are these 32 kings? Well, a lot of times, when uh, a country, one nation surrenders to another, or one province or state uh, surrenders to another, there's a total surrender. Then the kings of the other nations that were surrendered, they, they go to fight with war with the king who captured them. So all these, these 32 other kings are going with the king of Benadad of Syria. All these other kings that are in subjection to him. And so they go to war against Samaria, which is northern is northern part of Israel, and made war against it. Verse 2. And he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel. And he said to him, Thus says Benadad, king of Syria, your silver and your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives are mine, and children are mine. <coughs> and the king of Israel answered and said, My lord, O king, 
just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. Then the messengers came back and said, Thus speaks Benadad, saying, Indeed, I have sent to you, saying, You shall deliver to me your silver, your gold, your wives, and your children. It's funny we should be using the example of King Ahab was a terrible, was an evil king. But you see the whole point of what we're talking about here. The whole idea of total surrender. One king says, the Lord's, he calls, even calls him Lord in return. The king says, everything you have, your silver, your gold, your riches, your property, everything that belongs to you, now it's mine. Your, your wives, even your loveliest wives, your best children, everything. When you talk about taking away your wife and children, I mean, that, that's everything. I mean, you know, taking away everything. You know, you're, you're being stripped down to nothing. Your property, your wealth, everything. He says, it's all mine now. And the answer, the king Ahab says, my lord, O king, it's just as you say. My and all I have are yours. And that's what total surrender is. And it's not just in talk. It's not, this, isn't just, this isn't just supposed to be a speech. You know, and say, oh Lord, I'm making everything in my life yours. We may have said that many times, but there might be areas of our life where we're holding back from loving the way Jesus tells us to love. We're someone who's being stinky to us, and we're just like, I know I'm supposed to be loving him, but then we, you know, we retaliate, we chew them out and return. Or, or we do something we shouldn't. This, this is what total surrender is about. Is a total surrender of our heart, of our life, of everything in our being. And we surrender it. Not just in word, and not just a lot of talk. But we live out this life of surrender. Where we surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Say, well that's a little radical, a little fanatical. It's not my words. It's not my idea. It's what Jesus said. And that's what we have to wrestle with, these words of Jesus. And that's why some of the things Jesus says make us very uncomfortable. We feel this squirming and and this, this wrestling match going on inside of our spirit. Because we don't feel comfortable with the words of Jesus sometimes. And this certainly does not make us comfortable when it says that we should love ourselves the way Jesus did. To put others before ourselves, like we read all the stuff we read last week. Boy, if some of that stuff doesn't make us feel uncomfortable inside and challenge us to fight and wrestle with it, but the good news is that God has given us His Holy Spirit. So that by the Holy Spirit we can put to death the deeds of the flesh, like it says in Romans chapter 8. So that we can, as we mentioned earlier in Galatians 5, those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its lust and its affections and its desires. He's given us the Holy Spirit to be able to crucify our will, the old man, 
This is all done by faith. We must believe that these things are true. When I was a young Christian, I I grew up in a family of very emotional people. <laughs> Hot-headed and so forth. And the whole idea of controlling your temper at all times was a completely foreign idea. <laughs> and then you begin to read it in the gospel and says, you know, and I, you know, and then you become a husband and a father, and you have these young young children and toddlers, and you know, and all these challenges coming at you at once, and all these pressures and everything, and all that stuff. You feel like you're in a pressure cooker, and how does that pressure come out? <laughs> we start to lose our temper. We don't we don't practice self control the way we should, and I and I kept on saying to myself, and I said it out loud, I just can't control myself. Well, you know why I said those things and why we all have said something like that at some time? It's because we're looking at ourselves and our own strength and our own ability in the flesh. But that's not the call of God. The call of God is to look at ourselves through the eyes of faith, that we are new creations in Christ. And the new man is created after God himself. We've been given the divine nature that is after him in righteousness and true holiness. And that means that God has given me the power to control myself, to put to death through the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit. That cross means liberty for us. Not just eternal life and forgiveness of sins, but it's liberty. The freedom to live the life of Christ. And Jesus said, He who the Son sets free is free indeed. Free for real. We are free. So I don't feel free today. I haven't been forever bound in anger and frustration and, and all kinds of stuff. I've been feeling all kinds of bad things and it's I've been living it out. What's wrong? We have to mix faith with the things we have heard or it will do us no good. It won't benefit us at all, like it says in Hebrews. If we don't mix faith with what we hear must believe what we hear, that we have been set free. That's like sitting in a jail cell. And somebody comes and unlocks the door at night when you're in sleep, and they leave you a note saying, the jail's unlocked, go ahead and get out. And there it is, written right on a piece of paper. And then we sit there in a jail and say, oh, I hope someday I can get out of this prison. I hope we can get out of this prison someday. You've all already been told the door's unlocked. Get out of prison. Get out of that dungeon, that giant despair. And move out into the freedom, into the light of Christ. While we sit there and say, oh, I can't do it, I can't do it. And Jesus says, you've been set free. He who the Son sets free is free for real. Indeed.
So we shouldn't walk, continue on in unbelief. So that's how this works. We have to believe these truths that the Word of God says in order for them to benefit us. Otherwise, we'll gain no insight from it. Jesus gave a parable, a dual parable in Matthew 13, two short ones, where he talked about a man who discovered a treasure in a field. And he sold everything he had to buy that field so that he could have that treasure. And then the other parable is where this man comes across this pearl of great price. And he takes everything he has and sells it so that he can buy this pearl of great price. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like that. Forsaking all to follow him. A total surrender. Everything is that I have is yours. My time, my resources, everything you've given me, my home. My privacy, whatever. You know, it's all, my life is yours. My decisions under your lordship. Whatever you want. That's what I'm, that's what I'm going to do. By your, by your grace and power. In Matthew 10, Jesus says, He who finds his life will lose it. But he who loves his life, or who loses his life, for my sake, will find it. Losing our life. Surrender of our life. We see other examples of surrender. We've mentioned several times in the past couple months about the story of Zacchaeus. When Jesus comes to his house, he gives he, he repents of his sinful life and he gives half of what he has to the poor. And with the other half that's left, he repays those he ripped off four times as much as he ripped them off. Much poorer man when he's done. Levi leaves his profitable business as a tax collector when Jesus says, Follow me. Forsakes all. Surrender. I'm leaving this lucrative business and all that it has following Christ. Saul of Tarsus, a highly respected man, on the road to Damascus, has a meeting with the Lord. He's blinded for three days. He receives his sight. What does he go and do? He goes and completely destroys his reputation and all of his high standing with his nation, with his society, by going into the synagogue and saying, you know, this, all this persecuting and all this executing, all the stuff we're doing that I've been a part of, I've been ahead of, I'm wrong. Jesus is the Christ. Total surrender. I'm a man of God. This past week we read in Acts chapter 19 
where that the Ephesian church, they were moved with conviction. They came confessing their sins. And they, they were practicers of sorcery and black magic and all that other stuff. All this demonic stuff. And they took all the books that taught you how to do this stuff, and they threw them into a big pile and set them on fire. And it was worth about 50,000 pieces of silver. A massive fortune. Total surrender. Forsaking all to follow Christ. And that's not just meant to be at the beginning of conversion like these people. That surrender is to continue like you see in the life of Paul. And the things that he suffered for the name of Christ. And many others. The total surrender of the, of the fishermen. Peter and Andrew, James and John. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So they left their boats and their business, their father's business. Off they went to follow Christ, to become fishers of men. And the things that they went through in their lives. Most of them uh, killed for the name of Jesus. But some are not willing to completely surrender. They have not counted the cost of following Christ. And today's the day to count the cost once again of following Christ. And what total surrender means. What does it mean, total surrender, on a practical everyday level? People let refuse to let go of material things. Sometimes a business, sometimes a hobby. Sometimes certain forms of entertainment. Certain activities. Some of them may not even be wrong or sinful. But it's taking up our time and our energy. And things that God could use us for His glory. And He's putting His finger on it. We might suffer many things for many years until we surrender to that. Total surrender. If we don't, there's things that are, God is going to use to try to reach us, to try to grab us, grab our attention, not just to grab our attention, but to submit ourselves to His Lordship in areas that we're holding back from total surrender. And we could apply many different examples of that, maybe some of the brothers will. And so finally, the last reference that I have is in 2 Corinthians, chapter 3. Verse 17. 2 Corinthians 3.17 Now the Spirit of the Lord... Now where the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is... There is liberty, freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, behold as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are, beginning, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry, and we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. 
but by the manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. This is meant to be the change, the transformation of every Christian, every disciple of Christ. As we behold Christ, through the Holy Spirit, He reveals Christ to us, and then this transformation by the Spirit of the Lord. We're being transformed into the image of Christ. And later on, in chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also be manifested in our body. For we who live are always living to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also be made manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. He talks about renouncing our old life. This transformation happens, and we renounce our old way of life, our own will. And he says we're always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That continual crucifying of the flesh every day. As Paul said, I die daily. This is meant to be a continual process, a continual crucifixion, dying daily to our will, to our life, to the old man, to our desires, to our will, to our way of life, for the life of Christ. And it says that because this death process, this crucifixion is continually going on, he says the life of Jesus is revealed, it's manifested in our bodies. People see Christ in us. Without crucifixion, There's no manifestation of Christ. That surrender to Christ is how the life of Christ is, is manifested in our mortal bodies. And that's where the filling, where we, 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 Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, not to be filled with wine, which is excessive, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, this constant command of being filled with the Spirit. We could pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I, you know, I, feel, I don't feel full of the Holy Spirit. Crucifixion comes before. The life of Christ is manifested in our mortal body. Death is at work in us. And it will breathe life into others. Death is working in you, in us, but life in you. People are saved. People, God uses us to turn people to the Lord, to, to disciple each other, to help each other, to, to love each other the way we're supposed to. So, I'll turn it over to the rest of you brothers to share. Any brothers from the men's meeting or anybody else wants to comment on this or anything else that they have? It's open, the floor is open to all your brothers.
See, they're looking back at what Brother Ron started with about becoming a disciple. It's interesting to me how he could have named a lot of things, but he got right to the things that are closest to us. Mom and dad, brother and sister, wife and children, and then last of all, your own life also. But what am I uh, called to be? A disciple. And if I have, what what says to me is if I have any of those things uh, that I can run to, if I feel like God is telling me, do this uh, to be perfected. But I go to mom and dad and say, do I have to do that? And what they will do is spare you from being a total disciple if you listen to all these different relationships. I have to have one I'm listening to. And that is Jesus. So, I think the, the thought we have to concentrate on about this is a disciple. And what is that? One who's being trained by the one who is training you. And it can't be two, can't be three, it can't be different ones that you can run to. No, you have to listen. We have to listen to Jesus ourselves. And that is just what we tend not to do. Isn't it? We tend to try to lean on this person or that person and try to hear whether this is now the right way or not. And I remember back a year, about a year after I gave my heart to Jesus to be his disciple and made a covenant with him to follow him what he shows me. Then one day, I mean, I didn't really follow through with what I said. I still, I was, a, I was raised Amish. I was still, I was still trying to fit following Jesus with being an Amishman. And you know, they have quite a disciplined life, don't they? They do. But one day I was walking over toward my parents. I was out on the road. I was, they just lived down the road a little piece. And uh, I heard in my heart God saying, Dan, you have a choice to make. You promised me to follow me what I show you. Mm. Now you, have, you can make a choice. You can have your mom and dad and all your Amish friends and your family, or you can have me. And I was like, Lord, I have to have you. I give up all that other. You know, that was a tough decision to make because who else do I have? But Jesus, you know. Give up all your friends, your family, everything, your children, all that. Why? Because he wants to train me. And he can't do a perfect job unless I am his disciple. 
total and complete. So I, I think about, we have to think about, okay, what does he want to do? What does, what does he mean to do with me to be when I'm his disciple? I have much to learn, much to be cleansed from, much to be changed, changed my mind on. So I think of Hebrews chapter 12. He talks about here about the chastening. And uh, he says that if we don't experience chastening, we're not a son, we're a bastard. Mm -hmm. So chastening is for the purpose of training me under the one who is discipling me. Um, but what is his reason for chastening me and what is his goal? I have to think of, I don't know which one of the prophets was, Jeremiah, or I believe it was Jeremiah who said to go down to the potter's house and there he will speak to him. The, the clay was in the potter's hand to make out of that clay whatever he wanted to make, what the potter wanted to make. And that's what he wants us to understand. I'm being given an opportunity to lay patient like a lamb in, in God's hand, to be trained by him. So here in chapter 12, um, do I get the right verse here? Verse 5, so we, where it starts. Pardon me? Verse 5, where it starts. Uh, yeah, that is part of it. Uh, it starts there. Okay, I'm going to read from there till I get to the verse that I really want to point out what God's purpose is. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourges every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence, shall we not much rather be in subjection to the fathers of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So I have to have that vision and desire to be holy as he is holy, to be pure as he is pure. If I don't have that as my goal, then the work is not going to go forward. But if that's my goal, then I'm willing to be, let Jesus chastise me. So I can be partaker of his holiness. 
think of that. What a tremendous uh, blessing that will be to be partakers of Jesus' holiness. That's the goal. So is that what we want? Are we willing to forsake everything for that one thing? To be holy as he is holy? I, I think that's the whole issue. Um, and he's not going to be able to make me into that if I listen to other voices. If I listen to any of these other influences. And you know, it's like a, like I shared. I have a, I have a choice. I can have my friends. I can have my family. I can have all this, brothers and sisters or whatever, but I'm not going to gain holiness. Be not partaker of his holiness if I do that. I'll be made like the ones I listen to. <coughs> and if, I, if, if they are not encouraging me to just listen to God, just listen to him, then they're not helping Jesus in this work. Paul spoke about being co-workers with Christ. If I want to be a co-worker, I must work for the same purpose as Christ does. It may help people to be holy as he is holy. But that's that's the, the vision God gave me. Hey, we are called, but we have to have connection with the head, not just in the beginning, of our conversion, but all the way through the chastening, uh, judgment coming at the house of God. Uh, that's what has to start, like Peter says, it first begins at us, because he wants a holy people, uh, of which most believers say they don't even believe that's possible. Do we believe that? It's not even possible to be holy like that. It, it's what he refers to in Hebrews chapter 6, let us go on to perfection. Or, like was mentioned before, to maturity, which is, God is the one who decides what is perfect, not us. We can look at each other and, uh, or look at him, he's, he's saying we can go on to perfection, but look at what he's, how he's said. You know, they did the same thing to Jesus, here are the blood and the wine giver in their eyes. We can be the same thing. People keep trying to strip away from you what you've been called to. People will do it if you allow them. God's word stands there as our uh, as the mirror we can look into and compare ourselves with Him and see what needs to be cleansed. I praise God for what we could hear this morning.